0: Well, good morning. Thanks for joining us today at New City Church, and we are beginning a new series called Let's Talk About It. We are talking about some of the things that all of us face, and some, for whatever various reasons in the church, it might be awkward or taboo to talk about. And so over the next six weeks, we're going to hit uh, probably some pretty heavy topics, and here's just what I want you to know, that God loves you. And many of these issues that we face, I think, for various reasons, can keep us from understanding that and seeing that. And so that's what we're going to be seeing over these next few weeks. And so today, the first thing we're going to talk about is shame and regret. Now, that being said, I don't know for you if you can think back to your earliest regret in your life. For me, it happened when I was either three or four. I was... We moved to Cary when I was four and a half, so this was before then. Uh, I don't remember whose idea it was, and I don't remember much about it because I was so young, but it was either me or my older brother, but one of us decided that there was this large anthill near our house that we were going to both take a pair of scissors and go cut it up. And so we go and cut up this uh, fire anthill, and as you would imagine, these ants are all over us. We're standing cutting up, and so all I remember is running back to the house. It had to have been a weekend because my dad was home. He rips off our shirts and starts spraying us down. I don't know what it was. It wasn't water. It was like WD-40 or something. <laughs> it was just like we got to kill these things, and we had wealth all over our body. Right, right away, I was like, man, I'm never going to do that again. I instantly learned what regret was. <laughs> Now, all of us, again, maybe have some funnier, lighthearted ones, and I think all of us also have some serious ones. And so as we talk about this topic today, I just want to let you know something. Uh, For me, I have a lot of regrets in my life. Uh, I am not one of those people that says, well, all the mistakes I've made, I've learned from them, so I have no regrets. I just don't think that's true. There are many things that I have said, things that I have done, actions that I have taken that have hurt a lot of people over the course of my life. And there are a lot of things that if I could... I would go back and change them. And my guess is that this room is also full of people that you say, you know what, there are a lot of things that if I could do over differently, I would do them. Now, the problem is we can't change what we have done. And so today we're going to look at this question, knowing that we can't change them. How should we deal with our shame and regret? Since we can't go back and change what we have done, how do we deal with it, particularly if you have some shame and regret in your life that really weighs you down, that you are really embarrassed about, that you have a hard time overcoming, how do you deal with your shame and regret? And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Now, we're going to be reading about what happened to Peter. We're going to see uh, some time in his life, one of the followers of Jesus, who blew it big time and how God redeemed him. And so before we get into the story, I just want to give you a couple of background or get us up to speed on who Peter is so we can understand this story better. Now, Peter was Jesus is pretty much the leader of his disciples. Now, his original name was Simon, who after Jesus called him to follow him, changed his name to Peter. Now, Peter in Greek is the word Petros, which means rock. So originally, his name was Simon Bar-Jonah, which means Simon, son of John. His name was now changed to Peter. And so if he were alive today, you could call him the Rock Johnson. You could, you know, you could do that. Now, on top of that, Peter was a professional fisherman, which means he was outdoorsy, he was probably in shape, he was probably rugged. In fact, he might look something like this. I think that's what he might look like. Now, I know what you're saying. You're looking at this and you're like, man, something looks off. Um, I had no idea you had a tattoo. I just, I didn't know. And so that, you can can take that down. That is, uh, that's what Peter uh, might have looked like. Now, this is Peter. Again, he is the leader or supposed to be the leader of the disciples. Again, Jesus changed his name. He said, on this, your name will be Peter, which means rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. He was a foundational leader in the early church. And after the Jesus's resurrection, he was supposed to kind of help lead the charge to spread the gospel of what Jesus had done. This man might have had the biggest calling in the gospels. And yet Peter also experiences what you could argue is the greatest failure. A really quick recap. Again, we've been in the Gospel of Mark, so it's only fitting that we talk about Peter one more time. On the night that Jesus was going to be betrayed, he's telling his disciples again that he's going to die. What does Peter do? That's not going to happen. I will die with you. I will fight with you. And all the other disciples are like, yeah, we'll do it too, Jesus. And then just a few hours later, what happens? Peter denies Jesus not once, not twice, but three times and even curses his name when he is being accused of being one of Jesus' followers. And in fact, in Luke's gospel, it tells us that after the rooster crowed, after Peter has denied Jesus three times, uh, that Jesus turned and looked at Peter, and they locked eyes from a distance during Jesus' trial. And in that moment, Peter, who was supposed to lead this charge, who had been radically changed by this man named Jesus, has betrayed him. And so if you want to to talk about shame and regret, right, that's a great example of that. Someone who did something they literally said they would never do, right? And so if you're here this morning, your question for us is simply this. Have you ever done something that you said you would never do? Have you ever done that? You see, what happens is sometimes we experience shame and regret because of decisions that we have made, but it becomes even worse when it's a decision that you promise yourself, I will never do. I'll never be like my dad and how he treated us. And then you get busy, you've got a lot going on, your temper gets short, and then all of a sudden you find yourself speaking to your kids the same way your father spoke to you. Or I'll never be like my boss. When I get older and I've climbed the corporate ladder, I'm not gonna be uh, motivated by the office politics and by greed, and then lo and behold, as you've gotten a little bit older, as you climb that ladder, you've got the expenses, you've got kids' colleges to deal with, and all of a sudden you start doing some of the things that you might've said, I will never do. I'll never do that, I'll never say that, I'll never become that type of person. And in those moments, typically what happens is you catch yourself at some point, be like I am now the person, or I've done the thing that I said I would never do. And how do you overcome it? Let's look at what Peter did. It says this, in John chapter 21, we'll be there here this morning. We're going to read a couple of verses. In John chapter 21, if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. If not, it'll be on the screen, and you can put the page number on there if you want to put the John reference on the screen. Uh, it'll be, it will be in the New Testament of John chapter 21. And if you don't have a Bible, you can take one of those black ones home. It is our gift to you. Now, again, our question this morning is how should we deal with our shame and regret? When we've blown it, whether it was recently or a long time ago, and it's the weight of it is still on you, What should we do? Here's what happened to Peter. It says this This is about seven or eight days after the resurrection of Jesus. The disciples have already seen Jesus at least one time. Then it says this, John chapter 21, verse three. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. Now, again, remember that Peter, as we just talked about, was a professional fisherman before he became a follower of Jesus. And so when he says he's going fishing, this is not about recreation. This is rather about occupation. But Peter is probably thinking that I failed, that I've blown it, and so I guess I'll just go back to the thing that I used to do. And I think if we're being honest, this is the temptation for all of us, that whenever we fail, whenever we sin, whenever we give in to that temptation, to that thing that we said we wouldn't do or behave in a way that we said we wouldn't behave, what do we think? Well, because I, I, can't do, I can't be the person that I'm inspiring to be, so I might as well go back to the thing that I used to be. I can't be the person that I want to become, and so I might as well be the person I have been because really I can't change and there's no hope for me. And if you've ever thought that, I just want to tell you something. We're going to mention this a couple of times throughout the series, and that's this, that you do not have to do the things that you used to do because in Christ, you're not the person you used to be. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, as you struggle and as you fall, as you sin, as you give into temptation, here's the reality for you, that you do not have to do the things that you used to do, because in Christ, you are not the person you used to be. Listen, there's no doubt that Peter is probably thinking that I have blown this so much that I should just go back to what I did before. There's no hope for me. I've messed up my calling, my assignment, so I'm just going to do this Fisher thing, because at least I know how to do that. But here's the reality. Here's the reality. Uh, While Peter might think he hasn't changed, he has. In the moment, he might not think it or believe it, but he has. And I think all of us have been there, right? I'm not the person I want to be, or I can't get past the thing that that I've done. It still haunts me today. Peter is not that same man, whether or not he thinks about it or not. He has been radically changed by Jesus, and we are going to see what Jesus does to him to show him that he is not too far away gone. Now, what happened? I'll read it really quickly in Matthew. It'll be on the screen. At the end of Matthew chapter 26, what happens? Jesus, again, he's on trial. Uh, Peter is following Jesus from a distance after he leaves him. He's in this courtyard, and uh, somebody comes up to him and is like, hey, you sound like you've been with Jesus. you look like them." He's like, no, I haven't. happens again. He's like, no, I don't know Jesus. And so he steps out of the courtyard. He's a little bit further from where the trial is going on, and then he gets confronted again, and he not only denies knowing Jesus, but then it says this, verse 74, then he started to curse Jesus And to swear with an oath, I don't know the man. Immediately, a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the words that Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Not just deny, but like cursed even knowing Jesus. And then it says this. And he went outside and wept bitterly. So to Peter's credit, he's he's blown it. But he does do something that is really important and that is really helpful. That, At least in this moment, what does he do? He sits in and he feels his regret and his failure. He doesn't pretend like it doesn't matter. He doesn't pretend that he's not affected by it. He experiences it and he uh, works through it. Now, one of the things that's interesting to me is I remember, uh, for many of you are familiar with my story, when I was 19 years old, uh, my dad uh, committed suicide, and I, and I remember the difficulty of all that stuff going on, and, and for, whatever happen, for whatever reason, you know, that next year, a lot of people shared with me some really difficult things that they had gone through. And, and I remember there, there seemed to be two different types of people as they were telling me their stories and their experiences. Like, one group of people, when they were talking to me, they would, they would, they would share the really horrific things they'd been through. But they would talk about it in a way that, that it had impacted them, that they had heard, that they had agreed, and that they had moved forward with what had happened to them. But then there was other people, and it seemed like when they would share what was happening, even if it was 10, 15, 20 years ago, it was like it happened yesterday. And of course, it's hard, it can always be hard to talk about difficult topics, but there seemed to be this like, this shame, this regret, this heaviness that they were still living in, even though it happened so long before. And so I remember thinking to myself, like, whatever I have to do to not be the people that, man, when I'm talking about this 10, 20 years later, that it's still like crushing me, and the people that have been through some really hard stuff, and it still affects them, but they've moved forward with it. I was like, I want to be with those type of people. And what I realized is in order to get there, you have to deal it. Deal with it. You can't hide it. You can't repress it. You can't suppress it. You have to deal with it. And so I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to be healthy. And so over the next, the, the next year of my life, wouldn't you know it, became the worst year of my life. Not just my dad's dying. There's a, a few other things that happened. Of course, that one was the biggest one. But what did I do? I felt my shame or felt my regret, rather, things I should have done, things I should have said. I felt my grief and uh, the hardness of what was going on. I met met with a counselor. I had a few trusted friends that I would talk to, even though it was hard in the moment. I did things that were healthy, but they were really, really hard. And so today, what I want to do this morning is this. I just want to make this really practical. I want to give you three things to know or to do when it comes to dealing with shame and regret. If you've got things in your past, as we all do, but it still seems to weigh really heavy on you, whether it's something that you've done or something that's been happening to you, three things to do when it comes to shame and regret. Here's the first one. We need to know this. Your shame and regret will always rule you if you don't express it. Your shame and regret will always rule you if you don't express it. So what happens with Peter? He denies Jesus, but he doesn't pretend that it's not radically wrecking him and it's hard for him. And what often happens when we have something that we've done that we are terribly ashamed of or that we regret, we want no one to feel, find out about it, we do one of two things typically. We can repress it, right? We can act like it's not the big of a deal, or we can suppress it. Anytime we feel those feelings or those emotions, we try to push them back down like they don't matter. And then what happens is that we have all these Bible verses to try to like make us feel good or maybe th- Bible verses that people tell us with good intentions— And then what happens is we can't deal with the shame, the pain, and regret that we have. So we have verses like this. it says, like, well, it's just a light momentary affliction, right? So we repress our shame and regret. Or there's verses that say, leaving what lies behind and striving toward what lies ahead of me. But I'm not going to let this thing hold me down. In 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 context, those verses are, are quite beautiful in what they're talking about. But when you take them on their own and you're talking about people that are experiencing shame and regret, it makes it feel like, well, I'm supposed to strive towards what the head that was in the past, not a big deal, off one shoulder, who cares, I'm going to move forward. So we repress it. Or we can suppress it. Whenever it starts to bubble up within us, we feel like we should tell someone, we should do something about it, we hide it, right? Again, Bible verses, fixing my mind on things above, right? This is a bad thing, it makes me feel bad, I'm going to not think about it, I'm going to not talk about it, or like our culture today, it's like, choose joy, be really happy all the time, and anytime I think about that, well... It doesn't put me in a good mood. So, we don't like to think about it. We don't want to grieve it. It's too hard. It's too embarrassing. And at least Peter, in his greatest moment of shame and regret, does something right. He doesn't repress it. He doesn't suppress it. He expresses it. He sits in it. He feels it. And here's what we, what we know right? here's what you might have known in your experience in your own life. Oftentimes, not expressing our failures, our shames, and our regrets can actually lead to more failure or more shame or more regret, right? Many times that anger issue or that addiction or that workaholism or the porn use or the affair comes from unaddressed uh, shame and grief and regret or failure. Things we tried to hide, we didn't work through it, and so it bubbles up in all these other things. Instead of expressing it, or grieving it, or working through it. It becomes all these secondary issues that become even bigger in our life. And and here's also the thing when it comes to the shame and regret in our life. Here's what we need to remember, that that you will never learn the lessons that God wants to teach you if you don't work through your failure or your regret or your loss. What you think might hold you down, might mark you as damaged goods that God can do nothing with, you have no idea what exactly God might do with your failures if you will let him. So the question is, well, how? How can I, what does it look like for me to express it, my, my grief and my regrets, so that it's not just me internalizing it all the time? Well, here's really practically one of the things that you could do. And if we were going to apply this text of what Peter is doing today, here's what we would say, that you should let your community group support you. Let your community group support you. Let me just read something for you real quick. If you look back into John chapter 21, verse 3, here's what it says next if you continue reading. It says, I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. And it says this, we're coming with you, they told him. Now, this is a group of six other disciples verse two tells us this that are with Peter who go with him to, as he is going fishing, which by the way, as a side note, if you're in a community group, this is the type of person you want to be in your group. If someone's blown it, if someone's been a hard time, it's not like here's all the things you need to do to make yourself feel better, but I'm just going to be with you. I'm just going to go with you. And so that's what happens here. Now, remember when Jesus originally started his earthly ministry three years before, what did he do? He called 12 guys, formed a group, and then did life with him. And after Peter's failure, where do we find Peter? On a boat, fishing with his community group. I mean, that's essentially what's happening here. In fact, if you read the Gospels, there are many times that you find Jesus on a boat, fishing, and taping naps. You find him doing that a lot, right? And so again, if you want to be like Jesus, here's what you need to know, right? You should join a community group, uh, hopefully having someone in your community group that has a boat so that you don't have to pay for it, and you should go fishing with him. That's what you should do. That's my, that's my advice for you this morning. But no, this is, this is why this is important, right? When you go through major failure or loss or shame or regret in your life, you have to resist the urge to isolate yourself. Right? When something bad happens, listen, even if it wasn't even your fault, like being laid off from a job or doing something that you know you shouldn't have done and you've blown it big time, our tendency is to isolate and to hide because we would be so embarrassed if anyone else found out what we were doing, dealing with or what we have done, which then, of course, makes this even worse for us because now we're trying to live this lie. We're trying to make sure no one finds out this deep burden and grief that we are walking through because we are experiencing it on our own. So embarrassed that if other fi- others find out what will happen to me. And so then this shame, this regret becomes even more burdensome to us. And here's what I know. Some of you have experienced this for years, if not decades. You have things in your life that you just have this weight on. You've told no one because what will happen if they know? And so you're walking around with something you don't want anyone to know about. And it's ruining you. And it is heavy. And it is hard. And here's the thing. If you have shame and regret in your life, I just want to say this. You don't need to tell everybody. You don't need to tell everybody, but you need to tell a few people. You need to have people that can walk alongside of you. And then lo and behold, find out you're not the only one who's messed up as well. Because in, here's the support. When you do that, you divide the weight of your shame and your grief and your regret that you are not carrying it all on your own. And conversely, when you have things that happen in your life that are worth celebrating, your joy really gets multiplied because you can just share with it with other people who are celebrating with you, that you should join a community group. Now, if you're not there this morning, you're like, hey, I'm doing fine. I'm doing great. Now, I haven't really blown it too bad lately. And so I think, like, okay, when's the best time to develop the support system in your life? Well, the best time is before the crisis happens. And so I just want to be really honest today. I think one of the most faithful things some of us could be, should need perhaps, one of the most faithful things that you could do this morning is join a community group. If you are not in one, if you do not have people that you can be honest about. And so if that's you, you can text NCC groups. It's all one word to 97,000 NCC groups to 97,000 to get in a group so that you can be like Peter and not walk through this alone. So that's what it says there, that we should uh, let your community group support you. And then here's the third thing. I want to see how Peter does this. Here's the third thing we can do if you're walking with shame and regret this morning, that you should cast yourself on the mercy of God. You should cast yourself on the mercy of God. Here's what it says next. Let's read a few more verses. We'll continue in verse three. So he's going fishing. His community group joins him. And then it says this, they went out and got into the boat but that night they caught nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Friends, Jesus called to them, you don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Now, just as a side note, uh, you know, one of the things that we talk about often is like to the best of your knowledge and ability what would Jesus do if he were me, if you're facing hard situations? Um, this might be the one time that I wouldn't recommend this advice. Because I just, this is a life tip for you. You should never ask people who've been fishing for a long time if they've caught any fish, if you know they haven't caught any fish. I mean, that's just embarrassing. Like, Jesus just hits them low, right? He's, he knows it, makes them say no. But then he says this, verse 6. says, cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. Now, remember, these are professional fishermen. Right these they they know what they're doing they've done it for a long time and this is some random guy who they don't know from the shore telling them to just throw their net on the other side which by the way is not helpful advice like, the boat's, like, three or four feet wide. Like, we're, they maybe go somewhere. Here's this fishing hole that people don't know about. That might be helpful. But just, like, stay where you are and put it on the other side. Like, that's not helpful. Like, think of it this way. Like, think of, like, going to a high school football game and a team gets blown out, right? And so some of the players go to dinner after the game. And as they're walking in, this, like, sweet old grandma that was at the game was like, well, hey, boys, how'd the game go? And they're like, it went bad. We got blown out. And she's like, oh, well, have you tried passing the ball? It's like that... <laughs> That's not helpful. I know, what, you don't know what you're talking about. We do. We did, did, like, it's just not helpful advice. But yet they do it anyway. And here's what it says, continuing on in verse 6. It says, so they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. Verse 7, the disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord Now, the disciple, the one Jesus loved, is John, most likely. Why he calls him that is the discussion for another day. But it's John. Maybe it's a pride thing. I don't know. In his own gospel. So anyway, John realizes that it's Jesus. Here's the question. How does John know it's Jesus? How does he know? Well, here's how he knows. Because three years earlier, when Jesus first called his disciples, when he first called Peter and John to follow him, they were out on a boat trying to catch fish, and some random guy on land yells to them, hey, have you caught anything? And they say, no. And then three years earlier, this man on the shore said, why don't you try throwing your net on the other side? And then three years earlier, they cast the net on the other side and it had so many fish that they could not pull it in. So the question is, what is Jesus doing here? right After Peter's greatest failure, Jesus is taking Peter back to the moment of his calling. Peter thinks it's done. And Jesus is coming to call him back the way he did the first time. And then it says this in verse 7. If we continue reading. The disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And then here's what Peter does. This is fascinating. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him for he had taken it off and plunged into the sea. Now it wasn't a particular normal thing for Jewish people to like swim. So that's probably why he doesn't know. Like you don't put more clothes on when you're jumping in the water, you put less or whatever. I don't know what's going on there. He plunged into the sea since they were not far from land, about a hundred yards away. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the nets full of fish. Now, this is fascinating. What does Peter do when he finds out that Jesus is on the shore? He jumps in, and he starts swimming, right? Even as the other disciples are like, bro, we're going to the same place. Like, this would be a lot easier. He's like, he don't care. Like, he's after it. He's after it. This is so fascinating, right? This is interesting that Peter, knowing that he's blown it, realizing that Jesus is on the shore, he doesn't run from him. He runs towards him. Right. There's no doubt in my mind that Jesus, Peter who had been with Jesus for three years and saw his grace and his compassion and his love for those who are down and out noticed that maybe that Jesus is gonna offer the same thing to me. That he might offer again his mercy to those who are least deserving as he often does. And so he gets in the water and he swims as fast as he can to go to Jesus. Now, as a side note, I just, I just wanna say this. Uh, this passage can remind us, reminds me of something that people often say that is just not true. Right? Some people will say that they can never believe in the God of the Bible because he sends people to hell. Not gonna follow him, the hell thing, he sends people there, no interest in that. And here's, the response, here's just my response to that. We will say, I cannot believe the God of the Bible because he sends people to hell. Here's what I would say You must not be reading the same Bible as me. You must not be reading the same scripture because that's not what my God does in these scriptures, what I read is that my God does everything in his power to redeem and to rescue people from hell. My God loves you so much that he sent his only son into the world to die on a cross and resurrect over life and death so that no one would have to get there. My scriptures literally say that God is willing that no one should perish, but everyone should come to the knowledge of truth. My Bible says over my dead body are you going to hell. My God says he loves you so much that if you want to go to hell again, you have to step over my dead and now resurrected body to get there. Listen, that's how much Jesus loves you. That's how much he cares for you. Regardless of the size of your shame or your regret, this is who Peter is running to, his redeemer and his rescuer. And here's what I know. For some of you, for you here, for those watching online, the bomb blew up just recently right? Maybe the marriage looks like it's over. The kid has said they're going to go a different direction in your life that you know is going to lead to pain and regret and and destruction in their own life. Or maybe you've finally done that thing, or you've become that person you said you would never become, and I've blown it. Or maybe you've blown it for the 1,000th time. What should I do, you might ask? And here's the answer. Cast yourself again on the mercy of God. This is what Peter has done. Cast yourself on the mercy of God. And you can put that point back on the screen. Here's what we see happening here, that regardless of how you feel, regardless of what you think God should do to you, regardless of what other people might have done to you in your life, that you and I should ask God for his mercy because every time, not sometimes, not depending on his mood, not depending on how many times you've blown it, but every time, God always responds to repentance with grace. Every time. And this is what Peter does. This is what Peter does. Now, what's interesting to point out here, as we continue to read in verse, in, in verse 9, or we'll read a few more verses of what happens next, uh, in the beginning of, uh, there's only two times in the Bible um, where a charcoal fire is mentioned. There's only two times in the Bible. One is at the denial of Jesus, when Peter denies Jesus and says he's never known him, he's cursed him out. And here's a second one. If you go back to John uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 9, here's what it says next. And you can put the John on the screen. It says, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there. So not only is Peter finding Jesus at where he first called him, him, Peter is now finding Jesus around something that that symbolizes his greatest failure. Only two places in all of Scripture where a charcoal fire is mentioned. One where Peter denies Jesus, and the second one is here. Now, again, it's also worth pointing out that they are fishing on the Sea of Galilee, which is about 75 miles from Jerusalem, where Jesus was crucified. Which means that Jesus had to walk 75 miles to come find Peter. And he meets him at a charcoal fire, again, a symbol of the place of Peter, Peter's greatest failure and greatest regret, where Peter denied knowing Jesus not just once, not just twice, but three times. And then here's what Jesus does at this charcoal fire. If you look down to verse 15, it says this. It says, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told them. Verse 16, a second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. Verse 17, he asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And of course, we don't know what's going on in Peter's head, but it's probably easy to imagine that perhaps after the third time that Jesus asked Peter if he loves him, that Peter might start to understand what's going on here. That Peter denied him three times. The shame, the regret that Peter thinks it's over for me because of what I have done. The shame and regret that Peter assumes now disqualifies him from playing a part in God's kingdom. Jesus is now calling him back from the sea, calling him to a charcoal fire, again, a symbol of his greatest failure to show him that, Peter, you're back in the game. Peter, you are not going to be defined the rest of your life for what you did, but for how I'm going to radically give you grace and mercy and love. For Peter, he's saying, let's get back out there and tell everyone everywhere that I can redeem anyone anywhere, that if I can redeem and forgive you for what you have done so blatantly against me, that I can do this for anyone. That your shame is not the end. Rather, what it often can be is simply a demonstration of what God does with our pain. And if Jesus could do this for Peter, who literally failed Jesus and cursed him at his time of greatest need, then he can do it for us. He can do it for us. That if you cast your shame and your regret on the mercy of God, listen, it does not matter what you think of it. He says it's not over, and that's not what defines you. It doesn't matter what you think, what other people have said to you, your internal self-talk. That Peter, Jesus is telling Peter, I've seen it, and I redeem it, and you're back in the game. In fact, many times, it's our trials in life that turns our, into our testimony. It's our messes in life that God uses to give us a message. Many times, God calls us to love and care for people the same way that he has loved and cared for us because of the mistakes that we have made. This is who God is. Again, how should we deal with our shame and regret? Some of you need to express it to God and to others for the first time. You are so terrified of what other people might say that you have no idea that there are other people who have done, you might not believe this, the same exact things that you have done and love you in, in, in what you're going through and walking with you. You should join a group of people, of select people that can experience life with you, that can love you and care for you. And I think more than anything else, you should cast yourself on the mercy of God. Listen, this is the gospel, that God looks at our shame and our regrets and our failure. And he sends Jesus to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. He sends Jesus to redeem the one who's supposed to lead the charge after Jesus' resurrection. That Jesus was the perfect one who stepped down into time, who lived in our place, who lived a perfect life, who became the Lamb of God, our Redeemer, our atonement, so that you and I can experience God's grace and God's mercy. The gospel is it's not you trying really hard. It's not you apologizing really a lot. It's not you deciding never to do that bad thing again. The gospel is that God says, I love you. And you need to get back in the game. The gospel says, God, I, God says, I love you. And you are invited into my kingdom. Remember what we said earlier, that if you don't have to do the things that you used to do, because in Christ, you are not the person you used to be. Not because you tried hard, but because Jesus accomplished it for you through his life, his death, and his resurrection. And again, for some of you, you have a recent regret for others, it's a, decade bur- a, bur- a decades-old burden of shame and regret. And it's time to give it to him and share your burden with others. Listen, it's not that you'll never feel shame and embarrassment and regret over the things that you've done again. That, that's not what's going to happen. But what will happen is that it will not rule you. That you can look at the face of your greatest failure and say, God has loved me and redeemed me from that. And if he says it's not over, and by the way, he's in charge then I'm going to listen to him. Listen, one of the things we say often here at New City Church is that if you are in Christ, you have nothing to prove and you have no one to impress. This frees us to be able to express and to walk with the Lord with our shame and our grief. You have nothing to prove because Jesus' perfection proved it for you through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. You have no one to impress because if you are in Christ, if you have admitted your sin and asked him to redeem you, God looks at you the same way he looks at Jesus, which is chosen and loved and redeemed and cared for and welcomed into the kingdom. You have nothing to prove, you have no one to impress. God is inviting us to give our to give our shame and regret to him, to see what he might